All right. Good morning. It is so good to be here, and uh, we are continuing our book of Genesis. And today, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. If you don't know where the book of Genesis is, this is the easiest one we're doing, because it's right at the beginning, all right? You just open your Bible, it's the first book of the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 3 in just a, a couple of minutes. Now, in the book of Genesis, we're talking about God's story and our beginning, and, um, and we have gone through the first couple of chapters, talked about the creation, God is the creator, the God who created us with purpose. Uh, and, uh, and last week, Sam talked about how God created rest and work, and those were both created as gifts from God. That, uh, that if you missed last week, go back and watch it. If you missed any sermons, you can watch them online on our YouTube channel and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So, and thank you, those of you joining us online right now this morning, welcome as well as we get into this. Now, if you haven't grabbed one of these, if you're new to New Hope, um, we create these things every single series we do. It's called a series guide. It has a reading plan on it. We want you to be reading God's Word throughout the week, and we want you to spend time with God praying. And this is just a great resource. It gives you a tool to do that. If you've never done it before, don't be like, I don't even know where to start. Right here. This is where you start. Just grab this. It tells you exactly how to spend time with God every day um, and how to pray and, and what to pray about. So, so it also gives you the verses. You get to read ahead of the sermons that we preach. So you're cheating, right? You're, you're like reading ahead. And then we learn it all together on Sunday mornings. And then if you're in a small group, which is awesome if you're part of a small group, um, then you talk about it afterwards and you continue to grow in understanding of God's Word. That's we want you to experience all of those things. Small groups here, just so you know, we haven't talked about it in a while, but small groups here at New Hope are vital, and they're greatly important for you because, this is my phrase, when life goes sideways, you don't need a sermon. You need a someone, and that is where you find the someones here at New Hope. It's in those small groups where people are praying for you. They're encouraging you. They help you understand the scriptures, and you're doing life together, and you probably will eat together, which is always good, right? So I would encourage you, if you're not in a small group, um, mark small groups on your Connect card. Pastor Jim leads that, and he'll get you plugged into one. And, uh, and if you want to try one out, and you're like, it's not really my jive, this, I don't connect, that's okay, we'll find another one for you to try out. There's no judgment, all right? It's like we want you to find a good place to plug in and get connected um, and, uh, and build community and relationship because that is where I believe the deepest growth happens in our life. That's when rubber hits the road with our spiritual walk. So I would encourage you to do that. Now, on the bottom of that, we always have what? A memory verse, right? Because we're hiding God's word in our head, so it moves to our heart and goes to our hands, how we live and, and what we do. And so I'm changing it now, all right, to the next one. Uh, Two Genesis. I don't want to say second Genesis. There's only one Genesis. So I, I didn't delete that. This is Tim finishing his sermon on Saturday, by the way. All right, so Genesis 2-3 goes with what we learned last week, okay? And, uh, and this is what it says. Let's all read this out loud together. Ready? ready. Yeah, ready? Okay. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. He gave us this gift called the Sabbath, a space to rest. God did it not because he had to, because he desired to. He did it as a gift for us. And so last week we learned that God is a good, good God that wants us to rest, to trust him. And so, uh, so yeah, if you missed last week, go back, watch Sam's sermon. And, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, just continue to grow into that. I think, honestly, that's rest. We suck at resting. We don't know how to do it. And honestly, all of us, I won't say all of us, a lot of us are not good at trusting God with our daily stuff, right? 
we work for ourselves and don't trust God for the rest. Like, no, 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 no. We want to learn to trust God. Because when we trust God, we get to rest. All right. That's a whole other sermon. I got other things to preach. All right, so let's get into Genesis. Sorry, it's been a couple weeks, and I'm like, oh, all right, I'm preaching. All right, so let's do this. Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to stand together and read the first 15 verses of Genesis 3, um, 1 through 15, as we start this morning's message and we get into this together. And I'm reading um, from Genesis uh, in the book um, of—well, sorry. In the NIV is the version I'm reading, um, starting in verse 1. And this is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the trees was good for food, was pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that, com- that I commanded you to not eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God, as we read Genesis 3, we need your Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth that you want to speak to each of us personally. As we see this moment, um, we're what we call the great fall. When things in the garden went from perfect to imperfect. Now, we live in an imperfect world. We feel it. We know that's the world we live in. But today, help us walk into truth and victory and help us see the promise you gave to us in this passage. So lead us and guide us this morning in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Awesome. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> when you were a kid, did you ever have a parent or a teacher or, or like a grandparent in your life tell you that you weren't allowed to do something? Yeah, yeah, yeah all of us have been there before. Did you end up doing that thing they said not to do? Yes. Yeah, yeah, right? Like there's just something in us that's like, oh, we're not, why aren't we supposed to do that, right? Like, like I remember, and, and I, I do, I remember because of the pain that it caused me. I think I was two or three. My mom kept telling me, don't touch the oven, don't touch the oven. And I'm like, and she's hiding something from me, right? Like, I want to know why she's saying don't touch the oven. So I remember I stuck my hand up on the burner, 
and I knew why mom said not to touch the oven, right? It's like <laughs> I, had, I had the curls, you know, the, of the electric burner on my hand for like weeks. But I just felt like I had to do it. I just had to. I remember when I was growing up in elementary school, uh, I went to Wayne Elementary, which isn't there anymore. It got torn down a couple years ago. But, um, but there, was, <laughs> there was a way that we figured out how to climb onto the roof of the school, okay? And so like one time a teacher saw us do it, and they said, you can't do that. Stop. Don't get on the roof. You're not allowed doing that. Well, what do you think we did when they w- walked away? We climbed back up on that roof. Why? Because we're stupid, right? Like, 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 cause, cause we're like I don't know about the dangers. Because this is what we had to do. We had to climb over a fence, all right, to get into this other area. After that, we climb up on milk crates. And then on that milk crates, we climbed up onto the... Remember the milk, like, refrigerators that they had, you know? And, and so we climbed up on the milk refrigerator, and then we had to climb up three, like, little, like, pieces of brick that were sticking out, and then we got on the roof. None of us died, right? We're like, okay, we'll, we'll just keep doing this thing. Um, but we felt like, you know, we needed to do it. There's this rebellious thing inside of us, isn't there? Like, when we're said not to do something, we, I don't know, something is just like, but why? You know, I want to do that thing. See, we have choices. This is my, my first point, okay, when we're digging into this. We have choices. Our free will that God has given us allows us, us, allows us to choose good or evil. I mean, when God created everything, we're talking about, you know, the first two chapters, everything's perfect, right? We talk about it, the garden is God's dream. He created a garden for us to be in perfect relationship with him, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with the earth and gaining food and sustenance and enjoying all of it. God created all of it perfect. And when he created, he created humans, us, Adam and Eve, with free will. Because there is no such thing as love without free will, right? You can't force love. It's not like you have to love me because. Like, no, 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 that's, that's a robot. That's not how God created us. He create us as individuals, and then he put in us the opportunity and the ability to make choices so that we will, hopefully, the goal is that we would choose to love him, that God is doing everything for us, and that was the goal. Like, Adam and Eve, now you get to love me. I get to walk in the garden with you, and that's what we see in this picture in Genesis 3. God is walking in the garden, calling their name, because he longed to be in that perfect relationship. He still longs for it today, we see in the end in Revelation, he, that's what he's putting back into place. But we have our free will. It allows us to choose good or evil. And that's the world we live in today. We get to walk into free choice, right? Our free will. Choice, love, to obey, to not obey, to do what's right, to do what's wrong. Here we are. And that's where Adam and Eve were in the garden walking with their free will until a jerk showed up, Right? And we call this the fall because all of a sudden something entered into the garden that was not of God. It was of Satan, right? And so we're going to be talking about this today because Satan's tactics have not changed since the very beginning. And so we, I do not want you to be ignorant of how the enemy works against you because if you're ignorant, you will allow it. I mean, think about if you're playing football, it's good for one team to know the playbook of the other team, right? Because then you can have some victory. You can, your defense knows what to do, your offense knows. But if you don't know their playbook and they're all hiding from you, have no idea what's going on, you're probably going to get beat up on the field. We know Satan's playbook. We do not have to get beat up on the field. We can walk in victory. We're going to learn today. I, if I could do my whole sermon on one verse, I would. So you're going to have to walk with me. 
because um, I did not practice my sermon, which means we're just doing this together live, okay? Um, because I would love to just spend the entire morning on verse 15. So the second half, we're going to just be on one verse. The first half, we're going to just expose the enemy for the jerk that he is. See, we know it says a serpent showed up, right? And we know that the serpent, who it actually is, because if you read the end of the book, have you ever like, gotten textbooks when you were kids and they said, where are the answers? The answers are in the end of the book, right? And so you got to flip and you find the answers. It's the same thing in the Bible. The beginning of Genesis, you want to know who the serpent is? Go to the end of the book in Revelation. We see who this is. This is what it says in Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. That's who he is. That's who he was, the ancient serpent from the very beginning of the fall that we're talking about all the way to the end of Revelation. Who leads, um, who leads the whole world astray? He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. We see this image that it's not just Satan, one fallen angel. It's Satan and it says a third of the stars fell to the earth. That means a third of the angels came down with Satan because they were seeking God's glory for themselves. It's all about pride. You're gonna, I'm going to read some verses in a minute about what he wanted. Um, oh, no, I didn't put it in there because I don't have time. So there's these passages where, where Satan actually talks about his, his desire for sitting above God. He's like, I will rule over you, right? In these prophecies that he says, like, that's what he wanted. He wanted control, and God sent him down, fallen angel. We see that Jesus said it in Luke chapter 10 whenever he was sending out the 72 disciples out to minister and they were excited because they went out to these towns and they were calling demons out of people. They were seeing spiritual breakthroughs in people's lives because of their ministry and they came back pumped up in jazz, which you should, right? And they're like, Jesus, this is amazing. This is awesome. And he's trying to encourage them like, but just don't be in awe about that. Be in awe that your name is in the book of heaven. That's way, way more important. But this is what he said. He replied to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus is proclaiming, this is who this is. This is Satan, who was once an angel in heaven, who wanted to be God, to rule over God, sent, and he's going to experience his final destruction at some point that we're going to read here, the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3. His tactics have not changed, Okay? And we see it all through the rest of the Bible. His tactics are this. Satan challenges two things, God's word and God's character. And then he tempts us with lies. This is his playbook. This is what he does. You're going to see it, right? We're going to see it right now in the very beginning on what happened in verses 1 through 6. Satan challenges God's word and his character. Then he tempts us with lies. He tries to pull us away from God. So this is what he did. So he challenged God's word. He, the very first verse, did God really say? <laughs> That's the very first words out of his mouth. He's challenging God's word. He said, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? It's like, did he really say that? Or did you mishear him, right? He tries to twist God's word and make you doubt God's word. That is, that is his biggest, honestly. Um, that's how he's deceiving the world. A world that doesn't trust that God has spoken and that he has given us his word will never walk into the salvation because why would they if that word is not true? Satan has de been deceiving from the beginning and he still deceives today. We actually see him try to do this with Jesus himself, 
right? Jesus is tempted. I think it's Luke chapter 4. And he pulls Jesus away and he tries to tempt him. And when he's tempting him, he says, if you really are the Son of God, you see, right before that, he heard from heaven when he was baptized, this is my Son, who I'm well pleased. And the next thing Satan says is, if you really are the Son of God, he challenges God's word to Jesus himself. If you're wondering if God's word is true, it is. If you're doubting that it is, I'm just saying Satan's winning because he's trying to pull you away from truth into his own deception. So he will challenge God's word and then he'll challenge God's character because listen to what he says next. He says, you will not certainly die. What he's saying is, see, God's not telling you the truth. You can't trust God. God's not trustworthy. He's hiding something from you. He's challenging the character of God. We know God is trustworthy. We know when God speaks, it is. We know God is love. And love wants the best for those that they love. God wants the best for you. And so he's saying, did God, no, 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 no. You will certainly not die. God's lying. God's a liar. He's trying to hide something from you. He's not trustworthy. And this is what Satan does. He challenges God's character. He says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, he wasn't fully lying here, was he? But what he was saying in his, in his slick tongue was, God says this is a bad thing, but it's not really a bad thing. Right? You can't trust God's word or his character. It's not really who he is. And he's still doing the same thing today. So he lies and then he tempts. He lies and then he tempts because then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so he's, he's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, have you ever been handed something that looks really good, right? That just looks delicious and it's like, um, like something that you know if you ate that, it would be just amazing. Have you ever been presented something like that and then said, sorry, you can't eat that? That person's called a jerk, okay? Because like, <laughs> You don't do that, right? You present, and this is what Satan's doing. He's presenting something and like, see, it's good. It's good for food. Like this is a good fruit, right? And now it was delightful to the eyes. It looked nice. It was tempting to be like, oh, this doesn't look like the other fruits. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So it's like, oh, so if I eat this, it's going to make me better, Right? This is the enemy's scheme. Let me pull you away. Let me present something that it's going to like entice your eyes. You're going to think that this, this must be good for me and it must give something good to me. But it doesn't. It doesn't, right? So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she ate it. We see this same pattern in 1 John chapter 2.16. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, it's the same exact thing. That fruit is right there. It's that desire, right? The lust of the eyes, it's good and appeasing to the eyes. Like it looks like it's going to be good. It's going to be, and the pride of life, this is going to make me better. It's going to make my life better. Becomes all about me, right? Comes not from the Father, but from the world, who's the prince of this world. Is Satan. It's the same scheme he's been playing since the day one in the garden. Challenge God's word, challenge God's character, and lie to you into temptation. 
Welcome to the Satan or Satan's playbook. It has not changed since that very beginning. Satan will dangle in front of you something that is immediate, but never show you where it leads to the ultimate. And when he entices you, a quick pleasure leads to a painful life because it becomes addiction, it becomes separation, it actually starts leading to shame, which we see is what happened with Adam and Eve. It didn't lead to anything good. It led to separation and relationship with each other because now they're looking at each other like, I didn't know we were naked and now I'm ashamed because we are naked. Their eyes were opened. Intimacy got broken in their relationship. And now there's distance between them and they cover up with fig leaves, which, ouch, right? Like, like when you think, like growing up, you know, you see the pictures when you're a kid in Sunday school and it's like, why, that does not look comfortable. Like, like a, why a fig leaf, you know, something softer out there? Um, some palm branches, just, I don't know. I'll stop talking about it. Um, and then they're ashamed and they run away from God. They hide from the one that made them, who desired relationship with them because of shame. This is Satan's playbook, y'all. I don't know how many people are not in church this morning because of shame. Because this week they did something. They're like, I can't go to church. I know what I did. Maybe that's you this morning, and you push back your shame. Just so you know, shame is the enemy's playground. Forgiveness is God's kingdom. Forgiveness removes shame, okay? We're going to learn what that means here in just a minute. We don't want to walk into Satan's lies, doubting God's word, rejecting God's character, and being tempted away from his truth. We want to be a people that walks with God in what he has given us in the freedom and forgiveness to walk with him without shame, with forgiveness, with wholeness and relationship with him and others. And he has made a way for that. Unfortunately, in this moment, we see sin and brokenness entered into the perfect garden. And God said, I cannot any longer allow you to live forever because you will be living forever in brokenness. And so he sends them out of the garden. He sends angels to protect the garden. And now they're out of the garden, and then there are some consequences and curses attached to the rebellion that happened in that moment. Because it was still their choice, right? Satan didn't make her do anything. He just tempted her. She chose and then you think, well, well, where was Adam in all this? He must have been right next to her because then he took it and he ate from it. They both chose to eat from the fruit. They both, their eyes were open and now the consequences have shown up and this is the next part of it. There are curses and consequences to the fall. Curses and consequences, right? Just like when we sin, there's, there's consequences to when we mess up, right? There's consequences that we have to um, walk out of there, there are, when you read this, for a long time, I was just thought all of it was curses. The whole thing was curses. But when you actually read the words and really unpack the words that are spoken, there's only two things that, that God actually curses. And then there's everything else that are consequences, okay? Because if God curses something, I mean, it's it. It's, that's it. It's cursed. Like, there's no, like, removing that curse. But then when there's consequences, God gives um, God gives answers to consequences. Does that make sense? A curse is final, a consequence we can deal with. And God, actually we're going to see in verse 15, is dealing with it, okay? So the two things that were cursed were the serpent and the ground. Those are the only two things. 
cursed as a serpent. You are cursed among all the other livestock. So if you like snakes, I'm just saying, you like a cursed thing. All right, so like, like he says, no, you're cursed. <laughs> like, specifically to this serpent, though, Satan, he's talking about. You are cursed. And he said, and then the ground is cursed. Anybody ever try to plant a garden? All these daggum weeds, all you have to say is, Adam, Adam, Adam. Every time you pull a weed, just, Adam, why did you, right? Like, basically, it's like, your work is going to be work. It's gonna, there's going to be toil attached to work now in a way that wasn't before. Work was all joy in the perfect garden, but now work has some difficulty in the present reality. And so your work, wherever you work, wherever it is, there's going to be things about it that aren't perfect. And you're like, yes, I know, Tim. Tomorrow's Monday, right? Like, (laughs) yes, I know, Tim, right? But we still have a choice. Are we going to work it in complaining or are we going to work it in joy? Are we going to work for our boss or are we going to work for the Lord, right? Like, we have choice in our work. No matter what the consequence and curse is, we work for God. Amen? Amen. And so you represent Christ when you work in your workplace. You're not a grumbler. You're a joy-filled person. You're not a gossip. You're one that encourages others when others are tearing them down, right? We represent the kingdom of heaven in our workplace. Unfortunately, the ground's been cursed, though. And there will be difficulties that we go through. And then there are consequences. The consequences were childbearing was going to be painful, Sorry, ladies. That's a part of the consequences of sin is pain. That's what sin, there will be marital conflict. You're like, where was that at in there? It's when he says, um, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, when you read that, you're like, huh, what? And you can read it in different ways and you can unpack it and go back to the original language, Hebrew, all that kind of stuff. What we see is that what was going to be a perfect relationship now is going to have marital conflict, meaning like the wife's going to try to rule over the husband, but God put an order of a husband leading a wife. And we see later on in Scripture in Ephesians what that looks like, that you're supposed to be husbands like Christ, giving yourself up for your bride to make her holy, right? It's not controlling and lording over, but there's going to be this spirit inside of a wife that says, but I want to lead over you. And I want to control you, but that's not God's design, so that you're going to have conflict. Anybody have conflict in marriage? Okay, no, all right. Sorry to bring up the elephant in the room, right? Like, what? <laughs> right? Welcome to the consequence of sin, right? There's something selfish inside of us, and that's a part of the consequence from the very beginning. Their relationship is going to have some struggle in it. And to Adam, it's like, you're going to have to work hard, and eventually it says, Death is going to be a part of your story now. You can't live forever in the perfect garden. I don't want you to live forever in this broken world. And so now death is entering in. It's a part of the consequence of sin. Right? And so with these curses and consequences, um, let me just read them really quickly. This is what it says. So the Lord said, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, okay? The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals. So the serpent is cursed. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Deck on it. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Do you see that tension? It's like, sorry, child, I don't know what having a kid was going to be like in the garden. If it's just going to be like you fall asleep and then you have a baby and you wake up. Like, I don't know how he was going to do that. We're, like, we're, but now it's the whole process is going to be a painful process. Verse 17, Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. See, that's why I'm saying you can blame Adam every time you pull a weed. It's like, because of you, Adam. 
Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat uh, the plants of the field. He's like, you're going to have to work it before they just got to eat. They just got to enjoy the harvest because God provided it, and now you're going to have to work for the harvest. You're going to have to work to get and to eat, and it's not going to be easy because now these daggum weeds are all over the place. By the sweat of your brown, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. This is death now, is what he's saying. Since from, from, uh, um, from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you were returned. So death has now entered in. It's like, you're, we're going to give you an end to this toil and this struggle. So death was actually a gift from God to not eternally live in a broken world. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's a consequence. It's a consequence. Okay, now, now I'm ready. You all ready? Okay, because verse 15, this is what we see in verse 15, that there will be ongoing conflict, but ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. Because of the fall, there will be ongoing conflict. Welcome to the world we live in, right? A broken, sinful selfish, self-seeking world full of a bunch of people that all have their own free will to make their own choices. And in this, we see the enemy at work. Listen to verse 15. This is where I want to spend the rest of the sermon. Because this is the curse here. This is, this is, this is God speaking to Satan. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and this is the NASB here, and of your offspring, another word is seed, and her descendant, capital D, capital S, seed, he shall bruise or crush you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Verse 15 is the very first mention of the gospel. Right at the fall, God was speaking a prophecy of Satan's final destruction. Because he's already cursed. He brought a curse over God's creation. And then God said, now you are cursed. You're going to be crushed. Even though you're going to try to strike the heel of the one who is there to crush you, you will be crushed. And so Satan, knowing this and hearing this and understanding that what God is saying, that you and the woman, so Eve, and your offspring or your seed, those that come and continue to do evil, those that continue to, to not walk into God's word, to doubt God's character, and to walk into the lies of the enemy, they, they are of the seed of Satan, right, of evil. And so between his seed and her, Eve's descendant seed, capital D, capital S. Now this is interesting because it's not talking about the next kid that she's going to have, right? This isn't Cain or Abel. This isn't like, that's not what he's saying. It's not like some lineage. He gets very specific because the very next word is what? He. This descendant from Eve, this capital S-C, this capital D descendant, he shall bruise or crush you on the head. He is going to take you down, Satan. You will be finished. It will be over. Your authority, your rule, your, your, um, your control over the world will be done. And so 
with this, Satan has been in battle with us ever since. Imagine this. Imagine, um, imagine you're like in fifth grade and there's a bully that just keeps on bullying you. And you're like, you're sick and tired of it. And one day in the morning, you tell that bully, hey, after school today, I'm going to punch you in the face as hard as I can. What do you think is going to happen at the end of that day? That bully's sitting there thinking, he's going to punch me? I don't think so. Do you think the bully's going to run away? No, he's already been prepped up like, excuse me, I'm the one that's trying to control you. He is going to come at the end of the day. What is his desire? To throw the first punch, Right? This is Satan. He's been told, I'm coming and I'm throwing the first punch. And ever since, he's been trying to throw the first punch. He's been trying to defend himself and he's been trying to remove this prophecy and attack the seed of the woman, of the one that's coming to bruise him on the head. I need you to understand this. When I studied this this week, my eyes were just completely open because I had never studied it this way before. I'm like, oh my goodness, God. I've never seen this thread all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. I feel like I've seen Satan's playbook in another way that I'm, I'm ready to walk in victory over this jerk, right? Amen. Satan tries to kill the seed over and over and over again. Let's look, through, let's look through the Bible real quick so we can see how he has done this, okay? So Satan tries to kill the seed. He's trying to throw the first punch. It goes right to the very beginning with Cain and Abel. This does not end well, Right? Cain kills Abel. Boom. Murder. Very first two brothers. Have you ever wanted to murder your brother, right? Like, like right at the very beginning. Right at the very beginning. Boom. Satan is like, I'm going to kill the seed. I'm not going to let this happen, right? And then we see later on, Genesis chapter 27, Esau and Jacob. God has given Jacob promises. And in these promises, Esau is jealous now of his brother, and he has a desire to kill his brother. This is Satan's scheme to kill the seed that is going to come in the generation after generation because of the promise of the one who's going to come to bring salvation. And so here's Esau under, I believe, Satan's desire to kill the seed, to stop this generation that's going to lead to whatever this he is coming, right? And so we see that even when you look throughout history with Pharaoh in the Egyptians, right? Pharaoh was leading, and this is right when Moses was born. And Pharaoh makes a decision. We are going to kill every boy who is born. And he tells the midwives, go drown every boy that is born from the Jews. Why? Satan trying to kill the seed of the Jews. Because he knows this is the God's people. And out of this is going to come the one that's going to bruise my head, crush me. And so he's trying to eliminate the Jews. Are you guys seeing a thread? Yeah. You can move on farther. King Saul, unfortunately, the Israelites wanted a king. And God's like, okay, I don't think you need a king. I am your king. But no, they gave him King Saul. Later on, King Saul was all about him and, and I believe was actually being led not by God, but by himself and by Satan because we see that God gave promises to David that through the line of David would come the one to save us all. What? Through the lineage of David. And so now Saul, for like a whole decade, is trying to kill David before David becomes king, continually trying to murder him and get him after and after and after. And I see, and I believe Satan was using that to try to kill the seed, the descendants. You with me? Later on, you read the book of Esther, this man in Persia 
with, with a desire to actually eliminate the entire Jewish race. And he goes and says to, to, the, to the king, he says, let's put an edict in on this day, every single Jew be killed. And if you read that book and see what Esther did, God used her, raised her up, saved the entire nation of Jews, and Haman ended up hanging on his own gallows. Why? Because Satan was trying to remove the seed. You, you following me? We see Jesus is born. Now the king has arrived, and, and they're saying, this is the king of the Jews. Um, then all of a sudden, Herod hears this king of the Jews was born in the city of Bethlehem. He's like, what? I don't think so. And then do you know what Herod says? Kill every boy two years and under. Why? To get rid of the seed, the descendant. Satan was still at work trying to stop this plan over and over and over again. We see Jesus then is preaching and teaching. He goes to his hometown. He opens the book of Isaiah, reading a prophecy of the Messiah that's going to come. And do you think all the people in the temple, when they heard him read this, he said, now it's fulfilled in your presence. That They were like, woohoo! No, they said, you're with, coming with us. And they take him to the edge of the town to a cliff to do what? Kill him. Because Satan's seed was in the religion in that time. The Jewish leaders trying to eliminate the seed. You following me? I never saw this before. And I'm like, God, oh my goodness. And then Satan himself tells Jesus in Luke chapter 4, tempting him. Hey, why don't you jump off? Let the angel save you. And he's trying to tempt Jesus to kill the seed of the one that was going to crush his head. He's still trying to do the same thing today. We see this pattern. All attempts to kill the seed of the one who's going to crush Satan's head. And this honestly leads to one of the most evil prejudices that has ever existed. All prejudice is wrong. Okay, All racism is wrong, but there's a certain evil attached to anti-Semitism because it is Satan's scheme to take out the seed. Here's the premise. The premise is, if God's plan of redemption requires the existence and continuation of a nation, if you destroy that nation, you can defeat God. What's going on today with Hamas in Israel? The battles that have always gone on in the Middle East have been there since the beginning. Satan is trying to kill the seed of redemption. He's trying to eliminate the people and the nation that God has a special hand on. He is still going to fulfill prophecies. I don't know how soon. I don't know the time. I just know we're getting closer than farther. Do you think if Satan's working that hard to do that, that he's going to work just as hard to pull you away from God? To try to drag you away from the one who's already bruised him? That's already conquered him? He is going to try really, really hard. We see these wars. We see Holocaust. We see Hitler. see wars in the Middle East. We see Hamas. We see people with anti-Semitism just proclaiming it and righteously doing so, thinking that they are right. And it's like there is a certain level of evil because it is satanic. It is Satan's desire from the very beginning to crush the seed. But he's already lost. Amen. See, the prophecy spoken in Genesis chapter 3 is actually the prophecy in which we walk in victory. This imagery, I believe, and, and many scholars also agree with this, this being the first mention of the gospel work, 
is that the moment that Satan thought he was winning, when Judas sold Jesus out to the religious leaders and they pulled him away to arrest him, to take him to court and then to murder him, to hang him on a cross, Satan thought, I have finished my work. I've crushed the seed. But all he did was bruise the heel. Getting your head crushed, if your head is crushed, that's it, right? If your heel is bruised, it's going to hurt for a while, but you're going to heal. See, Satan bruised Satan or Jesus' heel. He hung on the cross. And all of hell was rejoicing. They were partying. They thought this was it. We finished our work. Woohoo! They didn't realize it was a short party. Because three days later, Jesus conquered death itself and rose again. Amen? Amen. And he conquered death. And in that conquering of death, the empty tomb became the crushing of Satan's head. Satan has no victory. Christ has accomplished his work. Our forgiveness forever. Satan no longer can rule in your life. He, He has no authority. He will only have the authority you give him to impact your life. As a Christ follower, you choose to walk in victory to say, no, you are not influencing my life. No, I'm not believing your lies and deception. I'm trusting God's word. I'm trusting God's character. You have to remove yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. He has no authority outside of the name of Jesus Christ. If he's in you, you have authority over him. Amen? Amen. And so you walk in victory. It is finished. I love what it says. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but the, but the fact is, I love to just start right there, but the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came, that's Adam. Death showed up because of Adam's fall, Adam and Eve's decision. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead, meaning now he conquered death. Jesus did for us. For as in Adam, we all die, all die. So also in Christ, we all will be made, what? Alive. We don't have to live in Satan's territory. We don't have to be tempted by the fruit that he throws in front of us every single day. We can walk in victory because Christ has made us alive. Amen? Amen. This is an essential doctrine to our faith. Because if none of this happened, everything we say is stupid. It's useless. But it happened. And it changed everything for all of us. And we get to walk in victory. We're going to take some time to respond. Pastor Jim's going to come in a moment because we want to walk into this. And today, uh, number one, if Satan's been really pushing you down into shame or if you've been like, maybe you've been walking away from this God that you're like, but is he true? And he's saying, I am true. God's arms are open for you. He invites you to him all the time. Every day his arms are open to you. My encouragement to you as if we're going to take some time to respond we're going to sing a song about God being our Heavenly Father with His arms open wide to us. That we want to let Him speak over us because we get to walk in true life and we get to walk in victory. So, so God, just lead us in this time as Pastor Jim leads us and in this time of response and as we sing in a moment that we want to hear from you and we want you to work in us.
So just lead us in this time. You know, as, as uh, Pastor Tim was, was talking there, um, I think it's awfully important for us to remember, as he said, a third of the angels that went along with Satan were thrown to the earth, and they're still here. And they are still very active in the lives of us as believers. Uh, if, they, if we have accepted Jesus into our lives, they, they, as Pastor Tim was saying, they do not have authority over us. But we have to choose to operate in the authority that the Holy Spirit inside of us gives to us. And I was, I was just thinking, um, you know, there was a point where Jesus sent out these 72, um, these 72 people, and he said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That is a choice that we can choose to either give into fear, give into temptation, which we all deal with. If you deal with fear, if you deal with temptation, if you deal with those things, guys, that, that's it. That is, the, that is our life as humans. We will all, it's not just, it's not just for you. We all deal with this. But we all, because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we all have the authority to trample on top of anything that the enemy desires to bring into our life. We have to choose to get out of the bushes. Like what Pastor Tim was saying, Adam and Eve hid in the bushes because they were ashamed. We have to choose to get out of the bushes and walk in the authority that we have because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Lots and lots of believers choose not to live in the authority that we have because they're afraid, because they're ashamed. You don't have to, if that's you, you do not have to live this way. You don't have, this is a choice. You're either choosing to live that way or you don't, you can choose not to live that way. To choose not to live that way is a very, very intentional choice that maybe you're going to need some help making that choice. We'd like to offer that uh, some of the, the prayer team, maybe uh, a couple of us can come up here in the back. I'm going to come over here. If you are stuck in the bushes of shame and fear, you don't have to be. I would really, really urge you to take a step today. Come and let us pray with you so that you can walk out of the shame and the fear that you are living in. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you in your power have allowed us to walk in that same power because you live inside of us. Lord, wherever the enemy has brought a darkness over our eyes, I pray in your name and in your power that you would begin to lift that darkness off of the eyes of people who are in this room, people who are watching online today. 
Lord, I pray that you would remove that and show them that they do not have to live by fear any longer, that it is a lie, just like Pastor Tim said, this is a lie and this is a mocking laugh that the enemy brings into our lives to intimidate us. And this is not your best for us. So God, empower us to choose to step out of the fear, to choose to step out of the shame, to take all of the leaves off of us and to live completely unashamed before you and to accept that you love us even though we've messed up so many times. So Lord, I pray that you would lead through the rest of this time and God, I pray that you would tug on people's hearts and their minds and show them where the enemy, where they've given authority back over to the enemy and empower them to obey you and to walk away from that. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat>